Hey, welcome back to Real Talk with Caleb. Y'all know the deal. Around here, we keep it real. And today, I have a special guest on. All my guests are special. Y'all know that. Y'all know the deal. We don't invite anybody on if we don't think they're special. And they have something unique or awesome or incredible to bring to the team. And he comes highly recommended, giving my teammate a shout out, Cahill, Tech Sergeant Cahillary Pierce. You know, I like that we changed 362018. We can say Tech Sergeant now, just like we can say senior for senior master. Anyway, I digress. That's for my Air Force family. Y'all can love and appreciate that. But Daryl is on the show tonight to talk about three dimensions of inclusion. And we know how important meaningful conversations are, especially as it pertains to inclusion. Daryl, welcome to the show, brother. What's on your mind? How are you doing? I am great, Chief. First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, I want to give a shout out to Kay Hill as well, because she recently in my NCO Academy uh, class sat through a session of this and she pulled me aside afterwards and she was like, hey, this you need to take this to more places. <laughs> and, I, and I explained to her, I was like, yes, ma'am, uh, that's the goal. That's the goal, you know, really to just get this out to people in a way that people can really feel it deep within themselves and also deliver it in a way that it does not exclude anyone or make anyone feel like they're targeted. And it just invites everybody into the conversation. That's so important, man. But I tell you what, before we get there, because I can already tell this can be a great conversation. Uh, two things. One, a shout out to all of our NCOs, man. You have such an incredible opportunity there at the NCO Academy. Uh, to see it firsthand. But for our civilian audience that doesn't get to see it uh, necessarily firsthand or maybe ever, our non-commissioned officers, our, our middle grade and enlisted corps, if you will, the middle grades, E5 and E6, phenomenal human beings to get our mission done every day. And Daryl has the opportunity to see them in action. And we're, we're speaking of one right now. It is an NCO that Technical Sergeant Hillary Pierce that uh, just sees that, man, it says a lot that she sees something in a senior NCO uh, for our Air Force audience, you know that that's not always the case where NCOs are looking at our senior NCOs and saying, hey, I, I really respect that. And you're bringing a lot to the team. Uh, so shout out to you on that, man, because I know that's uh, representing you got good character. So speaking of that, man, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get too crazy in here and have a great conversation. Who are we talking to? Who is the audience? What do you want the audience to know about you? All right. Well, my name is Daryl Hill. Um, I am originally from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Roll Tide. I'm going to have to go ahead and say that on your show. Oh, so man, we ain't. We got to end the conversation right here. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an Alabama or Auburn fan, but no, I'm just playing, man. Go ahead. <laughs> no, so uh, I've been in the Air Force for over 17 and a half years now. Um, I started my Air Force journey as a defender, security forces, uh, for the civilian crowd out there. That's um, basically a police officer um, or a, um, a very skilled security guard, if you will. Um, hey, easy now. <laughs> I said very skilled. I said very skilled. <laughs> so uh, I uh, recently, well, not recently now, but I retrained in 2013 to the intelligence career field where I became what was called the operations intelligence. Uh, that basically was an all source intelligence analyst um, working in the skills, really delivering the information that our commanders need to uh, make decisions within the battle space on the field. So um, that was a very rewarding career field. Hopefully I get to return to it after my time in professional military education, uh, which is me now, right? I left uh, NASIC, 
which is at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, to come back to Montgomery, Alabama, where I actually met my wife in 2009. Uh, we got married uh, and came back here to join the Barnes Center as a curriculum writer for the Senior Non-Commissioned Officer Academy. And then the opportunity presented itself after I found out that I made E8 or Senior Master Sergeant to become the Vice Commandant of the Gunter NCO Academy. And I jumped at the opportunity because how many times do you get to say that you were the Vice Principal essentially of a school, especially a school where we're talking to some of our most critical assets in the Air Force, which is the E6s who are truly uh, rocking and rolling out there every single day for our Air Force. They are pivotal. And we are seeing that with other events around the world, just how critical, you know, our uh, NCOs really are. And yeah, I love football, love to work out. Um, we just got a brand new puppy and I am struggling with that because I have the <laughs> night shifts because nobody else would take the night shift. Everybody would jump on the morning shift and the day shift, but nobody's going to work up at 2 a.m. to take the little baby out, you know, but hey. As dad, you know, I got to do it. So I got two beautiful daughters, Olivia and Abria. They are nine and eight, no, excuse me, about to be nine and 11. And then my wife, Akia, who works for um, General Electric Aerospace, and she uh, works in third-party security, so cyber awesome. analysts, basically. So, but yeah, that's us in a nutshell, and we live out here in Pike Road, Alabama, and I'm just excited to be on this show. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, sharing with us. Uh, uh, it's funny you say that about the dog, about the puppy. Uh, you got daughters, so I'm going to give them, I'm going to go ahead and give them a break. You know, I, you know, I got four sons, so I, I don't, they don't get any breaks. And uh, yet somehow everybody loves the puppy when she was a puppy. She's not a puppy anymore. She's about four almost. But everybody loved her when she was a puppy. And oh my goodness, she's so cute. Let's pet her. Ain't nobody taking her out to pee and poop. Nobody wanting to feed her without constant reminding. I was like, do I have the dog? Now she's my dog. Like, so now I said, that's my dog. Don't touch her. Don't pet her. Don't show her any love and attention. That's my dog, you know, <laughs> but on a serious, it is a family dog, but I hear you, man. Sometimes it's uh, so good on you for taking one for the team and, and being dad and getting up at two in the morning. I know that you probably call that dog some different names sometimes, but we won't say that on the show. Uh, but uh, something else, man, I wanted to ask you and uh, my friend, Joe Bogdan, I don't know if you know who Joe Bogdan is, Chief Bogdan, but Mr. Fun, phenomenal human being, but you know something. He has a podcast, uh, the the Llama Leadership uh, Llama Lounge. Uh, great, great team of, of guys out there doing some awesome stuff. Uh, I should, that's gender neutral. It's, it's more than just actual males on the show. It's a it's a great team of them. But he says something. He's like, you know, when we find out why people do the things they do or where they come from, we all have a chance to learn even about ourselves and when you were telling that about you know where you're from mobile and i'm sitting here looking at you and uh a little bit of our discussion pre to the show about you know all the things you've accomplished uh just i can't help but wonder like what motivated you to join the air force was the air force like your dream or like did you just like walk in and hey this is what we're gonna do today like tell us a little bit about how you became an airman like what motivated you to be an airman well so to be honest with you I had a friend that lived down the street from me. His name is Walter Evans. Um, he's no longer in the Air Force now. He's a civilian living out in Arizona. So if he ever hears this, shout out to Walter. Uh, <laughs> I was always pretty um, academically sound in high school. You know, I played sports, uh, played football, ran track. And I really didn't know where I could go after graduating high school. 
you know, because my mom, of course, I was the oldest of six kids, didn't have money for school, right? And growing up where I grew up, we never got any type of education on like, hey, you can just use student loans or you could apply for grants and just apply for as many schools as possible, you know? Um, and really, I didn't even know what going to college would be like. So I just started working at a grocery store. And when after the first time I seen Walter come home and he was wearing his blues, <laughs> I was like, man, Walt, look at look at Walt, man. He did that, man. That's that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty legit. And, and it was from that point on, I was just like, hey man, like I, I think I'm gonna do it too, you know. And I went in, I still remember uh, my recruiter's name, Sergeant Riddle, and <laughs> went in, talked to him, text Sergeant Riddle at the time, like, hey, I wanna join and I wanna go as quick as possible. Right. Yeah. So he told me quick as possible, no problem. And quick as possible meant security forces. <laughs> so, so I came in guaranteed a cop. I mean, he really didn't have to sell it to me. You know, I was just like, yeah, I could, I could be a cop. I could do that. You yeah. know, like I don't have no problems with being a cop at all, you know, and I, and I really didn't, you know, even the times that, you know, I, I came in, it's just, it was a, it was, it was a really awesome job for a very, for a good solid nine years, you know, until they made me leave actually. So, but, uh, but that, that's, that's pretty much it. Like I, I just saw him and I saw that he really enjoyed it. He was proud of what he was doing. Yeah. That, that's the thing that stuck out to me the most was like, wow, like I want to have a career or profession, something that I could truly make a difference and really just um, leave a lasting impact on, you know, whoever I come across. And that was always a dream of mine. So. Man, I'm so I'm so glad Walt wore his uniform when he came home on R&R &R or whatever he came home on recruiter duty or whatever, because we might not have ever had a chance to sit across from you and uh, hear what you're what not only what you have done in the past, what you'll continue to do, but specifically tonight. And, and as you walk through helping us, you know, have better conversations, more meaningful conversations that we focus on inclusion, man. So, yeah, tell, tell us uh, what, what you want us to know, man. Like, uh, I know Kay Hill came to me, you know, she shot me a text and said, hey, this dude is legit, Chief. You got you to chat with him. Uh, and, you know, we talked through it a little bit on text. I was like, all right, well, if you recommended him, you know, I, I definitely trust you and your judge of character. Uh, and she was telling me about how you have these meaningful conversation uh, seminars or, or whatever you desire to call them. And it is in, this, in a way where uh, you had mentioned to me before, but she'd mentioned it previously of where no one feels targeted. Because uh, sometimes in these conversations, you call them difficult conversations or whatever they, you want to term them. Sometimes some demographics of people can feel targeted or feel like you're calling them out. And you have somehow, man, through your genius, developed a, a way to go about it to just put people at ease and really learn and grow from it. So, man, walk us through what you want us to know. Help us. Educate us, man. All right. So the way that I start my meaningful conversations out is, and this came, this was basically feedback because I started out with a bunch of statements on the screen. Now, these statements can be seen as controversial. They can seem hard. And I just tell people, listen, after the warning slides, and the warning slides are gonna tell them, hey, we're gonna talk about some tough stuff, right? We're gonna hit some topics and it's gonna be hard just, just to build them up to it. And those statements pop on the screen and it's really an opportunity for a person to be honest with themselves because I tell them from the jump, you don't have to tell anybody how you feel about this statement. This is for you to be honest with you. And I want you to simply agree, disagree, slightly agree, or 
just to you know um, slightly disagree, right? And and really that's that's all to just welcome people into it, and they see some of these statements up there, and it's like wow. Like one of the statements I'll, I'll give you an example is, um, <laughs> hot dogs are sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I right? love it. <laughs> like people see that one and people freak out. Not allowed to sit it on your, your show. <laughs> I'm probably gonna have to change that one now because every time it pops on the screen, I, I promise you I'm looking for a chair to get thrown, right? <laughs> uh, people that's somebody's pretty passionate about that. I throw a chair over that. <laughs> yeah, you look, look, people are passionate about these hot dogs and them being called sandwiches, man. I'm telling you, you know, I but hey, it. like, but I, I love the way people just get energized for it, right? And then I roll right into statements like. Um, I feel as though I can speak up in a meeting without being talked over or not listened to, mm. right? That's and good. people see that and people are just like, wow, you know, it gets people to thinking like, wow, do I, do I do that to people or is that done to me, right? Um, another statement that I put on the screen sometimes is, uh, this one, this one always a good one, right? I would be, um, you know what? Let me, uh, let me, uh, I'm gonna I want to read it verbatim because. Oh, absolutely, man. <laughs> so, and I also update these all the time, right? So they're, they're always forever changing. So whatever that like tough topic is of the day, you know, yeah. um, I really uh, make sure I got it up there. So one of them is I would struggle with my child marrying a person of a different race. Oh, so when, when people, and that's usually like the last one and people see that one and they're just like, they're kind of taken, right? And they read it, and you know, some people are shaking their head, you see the nose, you know, and you know, the, the verbal cues, the nonverbal cues rather that people have. And, you know, and when I'm done with these statements, I throw on the screen dialogue is optional. And I ask like, hey, is there anybody that is burning up on the inside and they just feel as though they have to say something about one of those statements? Whatever one it is, right? Usually it's the hot dogs are not sandwiches, right? <laughs> you know, somebody will, will shout that one out, right? Um, but in one particular class, a person stood up and I believe he was a Space Force captain. And he said, uh, Sergeant Hill, that last one, I would struggle with my child marrying a person of a different race. And he was a Caucasian male. So this was an opportunity for me to kind of be like, okay, all right, what's gonna be said here? Yeah. And this hammered home as to why we should listen to folks first, right? To really understand where someone is coming from. We got to listen. And I'm talking about active listening. So we let this gentleman speak his piece. And he said simply this. He said, well, I know how my family is, right? And I would fear for my daughter bringing home a young Black kid because of how they may treat him. I would also feel... Um, like uneasy about how society would treat them with being an interracial couple, you know? And I will also struggle with if they have grandkids and the identity crisis that they may struggle with would be in multifaceted, right? And when he said that, I was just like, wow, that's profound. Like that's, that's legit. Like that, that's why we talk things out because I can guarantee you that when he first stood up and said, hey, I'm gonna dive on the grenade for that one. Like I would have a problem with that statement. You know, some people probably automatically thought in their minds like, oh man, this dude must be racist or something, you know? And we just listened to him and we realized like, hey, that's a legitimate fear, right? And a lot of us would have that same concern, you know, let's talk about it. Like, how do we get past that, you know? And, and that's really how this thing opens up, you know, and just gets people 
you know, a little riled up <laughs> and, yeah. and also gets them in a mindset that like, hey, I need to think about things differently. And I also need to be honest with myself. Right. Because, again, I don't ask people to share. Like I tell them straight up, this is an opportunity for you to be honest with you. Right. And and people do that. I think it's a it's a, I really believe this. It's, it's a gift to to be a facilitator in such a way where you can extrapolate that those feelings from people, right? You got to be able to put people at ease. And I'm not saying in the truest of the military sense of at ease, but, you know, relax. So I'd like the way you start off with things like and, and exactly the hot dog thing, because I think that starts kind of like breaking the ice for people, right? So I'm thinking, too, as we're sitting here in this discussion, somebody's going to sit here and listen to this and they're in a shop somewhere and they're like, well, that's cool, Daryl. You're in a, an academic environment where academic freedom is and, and Johnny or Susie or whoever can say with respect, whatever they want to say, essentially, and that kind of stays in that classroom or hopefully it does. But how about out in the real world where I'm going to see you every day, you know, for the next six months, two years, three years, however long that assignment is, or even in the civilian sector, however long you choose to hold that employment. So I love the icebreaker, so to speak. Uh, that's the way I'm interpreting what you're saying. I don't know if that's why you do it. Um, but that's what I interpret it as get people to flow. What do you find is, is another technique? And I know you're not here uh, trying to copyright anything that you do, but would be your advice because it's about growing people, right? Developing human capital, the ultimate weapon system. Uh, so how, what other advice would you give to get people to the stage uh, where they're willing to share? Because if everybody just sat there and listened to you and shook their head, right, Daryl, you'd be like, okay, great. Everybody saw the slides. We're going to go home and none the wiser for the most part, right? So dialogue is key. Communication is key in these things, in these types of conversations. Otherwise, it's not a conversation, right? So what are some other techniques that you utilize to kind of help people take that barrier down so they can have a meaningful conversation? So the next thing that I like to do is take people down a path of understanding themselves, right? Because I open up with them, you know, being honest with themselves. And now I need to get them to understand themselves. And when I say understand themselves, that's just me teaching them how our biases work, right? That's how I roll right into unconscious bias and basically give them a spill on what it is. You know, like, hey, like a lot of people like to say, oh, I don't have any biases and things like that. But I try to break it down to people. It's like, but it's, it's literally a self-defense mechanism. It's literally the way the caveman knew that the saber-tooth tiger was bad. You know, I tell people, it's like, the caveman probably saw a saber-tooth tiger, eat one of his homeboys, and was like, okay, cat with big teeth bad, stay away from it, right? You know, and, and I'm just trying to teach people that and get them to understand, you know, one of the things that I read, um, I got a certificate on diversity and inclusion from E. Cornell um, a few years back. And one of the things that stood out to me was just how much information is thrown at our minds at one time. Like scientists say that it's what, like 11 million bits of information. We're talking about, I'm looking at you on this screen. I got some pillows on this bed over here, the paint on the walls, the fact that the builders flipped my fan blades the wrong way. You know, all these things are going through my mind, right? And I can only focus on 40 bits out of that 11 million, you know? And that's that directional thinking, right? Like I got to purposely think about something in order to articulate how I really feel about it. And that's what I'm teaching people, right? That's, that's that part of understanding you. And then once I get them to understand themselves, right? And they know like, okay, wow, like I do have a bias, right? And I do this through a number of different things. I do it with visualizations, kind of walking them through an exercise to let them see things that they will see throughout their day on a normal basis. And just, okay, tell me what you saw, 
right? And that's basically your mind reflecting on things that is already seen in the past and it's telling you what you see. It's not, it doesn't mean that you're racist. It doesn't mean that you see this. It's just your brain digging back into the archives on things that is already seen. That's it. That's what yeah. our brain does. You know, that's a, it's something interesting you bring up, um, conditioning, right? That's the way I, I've heard it termed before, and we do it in the military, right? I conditioned, uh, when I was pushing out doing convoys and all those kind of things, you know, in my earlier days, uh, actually in some just recent in 20, but uh, we condition people. I want airmen, I want soldiers, sailors, Marines, whatever service members with me, I want them to be conditioned to certain things, right? You see X, Y, and Z, it's highly probable that's an IED. You see X, Y, and Z, it's highly probable that's an ambush or whatever, right? So you teach people these things, so you condition them. I wonder... What are your thoughts, man, on when you talk about 11 million bits of information, how many of those pieces of information are conditioned in the mind where we don't even know it, right? So I'll give an example, but I won't give an example. I want you to take that and and have you seen or have you had experiences in these uh, seminars that you do where people are conditioned but have never actually experienced it, whether it be a, a, a quote unquote bad neighborhood or a certain look or a certain thing, you know, have you experienced any of that where it's like, when you peeled the onion back, it was more of a conditioning of the mind versus actual experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I can give you a prime example, right? Like coming to Maxwell Air Force Base, a person gets orders here. People will tell them from the jump, don't live on the west side. You know, like people will tell them that, you know, like don't live on the west side of Montgomery. Like don't, don't go there, don't go over there and things like that. And it's because of historically, that is an impoverished side of the town that just doesn't receive that much attention from the city, right? And I, I, I do things with local officials and, you know, we, we want to put more funding over there, you know, and make things more profitable in that area. And hopefully we can at some point in the future. But, and people think that. So, and they hear that and then say they have to go to an appointment or something that's on that side of the town, right? So now people are already conditioned that, hey, that's a bad side of town. You know, like I need to keep my guards up. Like um, the example, like people doing their sleep studies, right? A bunch of people like, hey, so hey, you know what a sleep clinic is? And you give them the location of the sleep clinic and it's at um, Baptist South. And that's kind of on the West side or on one of the, you know, more, you know, uh, <laughs> sides of the town that's concerning to people, right? There's like, oh man, shit. Uh, is my car gonna get broken in or things like that, you know? And, and people are just like conditioned to think that way and, and once again like it's a safety mechanism right because as humans we kind of gravitate to negative things like we really do that's just just human nature you know I, I tell people sometimes the example of you know if you're on the road you're on the highway everybody slows down to see a car accident right yeah. how many people slow down to watch the sunset nobody right. does that right you know Everybody slows down for this negative thing, right? Because they're thinking like, oh man, what happened? Like, let me make sure I don't do that or what kind of vehicle are they driving? But nobody's gonna slow down to look at that happy, beautiful sunset that's setting over the mountains or, yeah. you know, setting up a lake, you know? And, and that's just our mind's conditions. And we're conditioned from things from childhood. Like through my like experience with dealing with these meaningful conversations, like it is just mind blowing to me, like how many examples I've come across lately from people who have struggled from things in their childhood, things that happened to them when they were a child and how we bring those things into our adult lives. You know, like I, I can think of some things that I probably, you know, brought into my adult life from childhood, you know, and those are the things that, you know, really mean the most. Cause I mean, when you think about racism and things like that, that's all stuff that are taught to kids, you know, well, you don't see 
You know, you don't see two a, a black kid and a white kid at a daycare, you know, in their infancy, not playing with each other. Yeah. You know, so in any any ethnicity, right? Like any ethnicity or race, you know, you're right. It's a conditioning, uh, like we said before. You know, I don't think. Uh, in the past, I think it was probably more intentional. Uh, I don't know that it's as, as intentional across the world. I mean, there's still parts. I mean, heck, you can drive up 65 North, right? And when I first got to Alabama, I was driving up 65 North, going to Birmingham, and there's this huge flag on the side of the hill. And it's not a United States of America flag, and it's not an Alabama flag. Uh, it's a rebel flag, and I think it's uh, Sons of the Confederacy, maybe. I think that's, and I'm not, I don't know what that the group truly stands for. I know what comes to my mind when I see it. I don't know what they truly stand for and all that. But so what I guess I'm saying is there might be places in the U.S. that are intentional about teaching hate, right? Um, I know there, there we have encountered terrorist organizations that are about hate. Sometimes I think it's the, you're, it's a byproduct. You're a byproduct, if you allow yourself to be, of what how you were raised. It might not have been intentional. It's just the way the family was and and for those that, that won't see this on um uh see it you'll just hear it air quotes of how the family was and you know you talked about that captain that spoke up well i'm afraid my family might say this or that uh i'm not going to say what that captain i just know what i would do right is maybe uh, i'm not going to be part of that family if my family can't accept what my son has chosen to do then then maybe you you don't you aren't really part of my family and i know that's hard for a lot of people to draw that line it's not for me. Um, but uh, sometimes, you know, people are, you know, they don't even realize how emotionally damaged or psychologically scarred they are. I have this saying, I talk to our NCOs about a lot. I, I love our NCOs, man. And I, I like going to ALS as people are about to take on roles as a supervisor. And I say, we got to be emotionally steady and psychologically ready. Um, because if you're not, then how are you going to lead? You touch on a part, how many people come into the United States Air Force or just come into adult life in general with psychological scars or emotional, you know, upheaval and chaos. So I'd like to know, man, you can leave names out, please, uh, unless they've already cleared you to share their story. When you're having these meaningful conversations, have you uncovered any of those emotional scars? And, and, and so if you have uncovered that, what did that look like? Was there a healing process? Have you been able to keep up with people maybe that have had these examples and just kind of see how their life is, has progressed since with sharing, sharing and growing? From, from something you, you put together? So what I've been doing is definitely a growing process. And now that you said what you just said, I think that's probably the third time I've heard that. And it's time for me to go ahead and, you know, um, own it, if you will, because I, I love owning your impact. And that's, I'm going to create a Facebook page about meaningful conversations. And for those people that have gone through a session and maybe they didn't want to share publicly at that moment, give them a platform of some sort to kind of, hey, you know, um, share one of their stories, you know, or give an update on their stories as well after they seek help for something that they, you know, because it's almost like a group <laughs> session, you know, of therapy at some point, you know, because at the end of the sessions, after I build everyone up and I take them through all my steps, um, I do a session where basically I break them into groups and I get everyone to tell a, a story about a time where they felt not included, you know? And I use that particular setup because I don't know a single person that has like never been felt like they were left out of something. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you have one as well. I'm sure you have plenty of stories, right? Okay. Um, especially over your career and probably before the military as well. And, and some of these things are, 
interesting, really. Like I, I had one story um, recently, it was here um, where I did a session and the young lady said that for years, no one in her family acknowledged that she and her sister were the only two that were African-American hmm. because they, they wow. were mixed, right? And nobody else in their family would acknowledge it. Nobody else said anything. And she felt so encouraged by one of my sessions that she said that she was going to go back and start that conversation. Mm. You know, and, and, and now I'm, I'm thinking about that particular moment. And I'm like, I really wish that, you know, I had the platform. I mean, I, I have, you know, the sign up sheets and things when I do it for the base. And I'm sure I can go out and reach out to people. But I want to make an avenue where people can, you know, reach back to me and kind of give updates to their stories because that stuff does matter to me. Because every time I do one of these sessions, it weighs heavy. You know, just hearing some of the, the stories of rejection and the stories of like just some of the extreme levels of bullying that some folks have gone through. I had one uh, NCO actually share that um, her mom and dad got a divorce and her mom turned out to be homosexual. So her mom remarried a woman and it was in a time frame, right? And she was growing up that you don't talk about that. You can lose your job for being gay. All these different things can happen to you, right? So they try to keep it under wraps. And she said that she had a friend in school and she was open and honest. She was transparent with that friend. Like, hey, my mom is gay. She has a wife. Are you okay with that? And the friend was just like, sure. Yeah, I'm good. And then her and that friend had a fight. That friend went, told the whole school her business. Wow. Now everybody knows. Like they literally started calling this young lady the Dyke's daughter. Wow. Like wouldn't even allow her to play sports, wouldn't let her be involved in things. And it was like almost one of the things that pushed her to join the Air Force because she just wanted to feel like she belonged to something, you know? And I was just like, wow. You know, like that, that that's that's a story of something that happened to one of our airmen. Yeah. Right. She's dealing with that. That's baggage she brought with her to the Air Force. And then she bumps into a NCO or a senior NCO that's disgruntled or angry or something like that, that doesn't want to take the time to learn that story about this airman. And now it pushes her away from the Air Force. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get to, you know, some of these senior CEOs and NCOs even, right? Like Chief Bass has been saying this a lot lately. She was saying like, you should see the look in the eyes of, the, of a brand new airman after they graduate basic training. And then they go to test school. They're so motivated, right? They're ready, yeah. they're ready to take on the world. And then they show up to these bases and their sponsor doesn't even pick them up from the airport. Or they don't have like a nice meal or something waiting for them because they, they, the flight came in late or they lost their bags and they don't have anything. Nobody's helping them out. Or they give them to someone that's probably going through some issues of their own, right? To be their sponsor. And this person is disgruntled. This person hates this base, you know? And, 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 and that that weighs on a person. That's their first impression on the Air Force, right? Yeah. So, and it's just like, hey, we gotta go out of our ways to take care of folks because we don't know where these people came from, yeah. right? We don't know what kind of life issues they've gone through and what they've made it beyond, you know, their, just their childhood and their life just to make it here to where we are. Absolutely, so. man. I tell you, you're 100% right. And, you know, we're entrusted in the military, United States Air Force, we're entrusted, people like me and you, uh, all the way down to staff sergeant level, are entrusted to lead, motivate, and inspire, take care of, not coddle, but to treat like a human being, 
our nation's sons and daughters. They're special to someone, right? Uh, there's one out there serving right now that he's very uh, special to someone because that's my boy. That's my son. Uh, so that you, you don't get chief fading when you mess up you get daddy and daddy's a lot different than chief fading <laughs> in those regards right and why do i say that i say that for the audience to understand there's somebody special person somebody uh, like caleb that's sitting here talking tonight and trust the sergeant garrison i'm gonna give him a shout out the sergeant garrisons of the world to take care of their baby even though he's bigger than i am he's about six seven and 240 pounds he's a full-grown man uh that's still my baby like he was on my chest sleeping uh, when he was five and a half weeks old when I left for basic military training. Uh, so now he's all full grown and serving in the, in the security forces. And Sergeant Garrison has been a phenomenal NCO for my son. Um, and Sergeant Garrison doesn't know me. Like, you know, he might know who dad is, but he doesn't know me. Uh, and so there are some out there, you're right, that do it wrong, brother. But I do want to say, because uh, of my experience, there are some, we, we both know a chief, uh, Kim Pollard. Uh, there, there are some people out there that straight get it right. And uh, I just encourage people like yourself, man, to keep keep pushing that, right? Keep trying to, because everybody you have an opportunity to connect with, that's another ripple that we can create, right? Especially when you're at the NCO core. And that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, because yeah. that's the NCOs are the ones catching the brand new airmen coming in. It's not it's not the senior master and the chief master, right? They'll see us, but let's be honest. The A1C don't want to talk to us. Uh, they, that's not who they see every day, right? Uh, so I encourage our senior NCOs to push that down a level, take care of your NCOs, NCOs take care of the airmen. Uh, but you're right, man. Uh, I was the same way. I got out of basic military training. It wasn't even going to be in the Air Force. I was supposed to be in the Marine Corps. Whole another story for another podcast, but I was ready to change the world. Uh, and some airmen get to their first duty section. You're right. And they're like, wait a minute, all that you just taught me for the last few months, it ain't happening up in this place. Uh, so something else I found, man, I'd like your thoughts on this too. Uh, I have found, and when I'm having conversations, not even at the level you are, man, you're, you're next level, but just walking into a shop, right? Uh, when I was in downrange this last time in 20 in Afghanistan, I walked into the shop, believe them nameless, just talking to them. And uh, one, one, one individual was uh, African-American and one individual was a Caucasian. One was an NCO and one was an A1C. And so we were chit-chatting and I asked the A1C Caucasian, I said, hey, um, what do you think about this? Because, you know, that was a, there was a lot going on in our nation at the time. There's been a lot going on in our nation, but it was televised, talked about a lot. So there was a, you know, people were feeling a certain way across our formations and a lot of people weren't talking. Right. From a leadership perspective, a lot of people weren't talking. So I, I made it a point to go out and talk to people. And so I asked him. Uh, she had told uh, her story and then um, I asked him, I was like, so what do you think? He's like, honestly, chief, if, if you hadn't come in here and, and, and said something, I would have never known. And she like looked at him like she was just dumbfounded. She couldn't believe it. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, like, hold on a second. Like he's brand new to the air force. I said, where are you from? He told me where he was from. I said, how many African-Americans do you have in your high school? Because that's what we're talking. I mean, it could be any ethnicity, right? Difference. Uh, but we were talking about African-Americans and Caucasians. And uh, he's like four. I was like, do you ever cross paths with them? Do you ever have conversations with them? Were they friend groups? Were they in your friend groups? He's like, no, Chief, I, no, I didn't. So then I asked, you know, same thing for her. She's like, no. I was like, so what we have here is a breakdown of communication. If we want to break these cycles, we have to talk. If you don't want to break the cycle, then don't talk, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't anything he was, you know, uh, nefarious about. He just simply was ignorant to it, right? He just had never yeah. experienced it, uh, never had seen it. So there was no way for him to gauge when something like that was happening. Uh, so what are your thoughts and have you come across these types of things in your, your meetings uh, where you see like the light bulb moments of like people are like, wow, I didn't even know. Like I would have never looked at it like that. And, and do you have any ex examples that you can share with us? 
Oh, absolutely. So when I first started, uh, let's, so let's take it back for a second. So the whole reason I started having meaningful conversations is basically behind the George Floyd murder, right? And how I was able to walk into an organization where I was um, like a real low percentage of African-Americans. I'm talking about maybe I was like one of maybe three or four and nobody was talking about the incident. The incident that had my wife crying on my sleeves the night before, you know, and I was shocked that nobody was talking about it at work. It was literally business as usual. So it took around about 1030 that morning for our group commander. She shot an email out and she was like, I don't know the words to say, but I know some of you are hurting and I'm here to talk. Right. And it was just because she said something. Right. It was just something was said about what happened. So when you bring up uh, people just not knowing what's going on around them, like that's that's part of some of the issues, right? Like we have to be self-aware of what's going on around us and we have to understand things from other people's perspective. That's why I teach the empathy piece, right? We have to be able to put ourselves in other folks' shoes to understand how they are feeling about an incident. So one of the things I used to do when I first started these, I would use images because this was like in the very early stages of me facilitating these conversations. And, and really the images are what got people to talk. And one of those images was Callum Kaepernick taking a knee. And when I popped that image up, one of the civilians in my organization, he immediately said, I stopped watching football after that. Like he was just, he was just so adamant about it. And I was like, whoa. Okay, right? Oh, okay. T tell us a little bit more. It was just like that's not right. Like I don't, I don't appreciate him doing that, you know. And now, normally, when that happens, and I'm facilitating these, I allow somebody else in the class, right, to kind of speak how they feel about it. But I kind of yeah. took this one myself because I he came off with so much energy that I was like, okay, I think I gotta kind of redirect this one. So yeah. I explained to him. I said, well, sir, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I see a person who is taking a knee for a right that I almost died for, you know, on, on deployments, you know? So I see someone exercising something that in other countries, you'll literally be beheaded, right? For speaking out against your government. Like he is exercising a right that we in the military, we protect for him. You know, and that's what I see. I don't see somebody disrespecting anything. I see somebody doing what it is that we allow people to do in this country, right? And that's their right to speech, no, freedom of speech, rather, and to protest. And he looked at it and it was like, like you said, that light bulb light. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I was like, yeah, like you sitting in this position in this building, this big top secret facility, you're protecting his right to be able to do that right now. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 you know, it was just like, so that's how we got to look at things, right? So put yourself in other people's shoes and other people's perspectives, right? I, I had one session where I literally had an airman getting ready, and she was a young African-American airman getting ready to go at one of my civilians. She was um, a Caucasian, um, female. Um, she was maybe um, late 40s age group, right? And she was talking about how you know, she was on the side of the police, right? The police, they're just doing their job and yada, yada, yada. And then the, the airman was just like, well, my my cousin, 
was just minding his own business and he got pulled up and jacked up by the police, you know, and blah, blah. And they just were not seeing it from each other's perspective, right? Yeah. And you know what I had to explain to him, I was like, hey, what are we not doing right now? Yeah. Everybody had to take a second and like, okay, we're not listening. We're not listening. Like we're not understanding that, hey, from my civilian female perspective, she never experienced anything like what her cousin went through, right? So in her eyes, law enforcement, it's all good. You know, mm-hmm. like, cause they, they've only responded when she needed them to respond. You know, she never had a fear of them, right? And, and that's why we had to break it down. We had to peel back those onions. And, I, and then we had to talk about it. I was like, do you all understand that when an African-American sees blue lights behind them, it is a totally different feeling when somebody of another race, meaning like, like a Caucasian, has those lights behind them. Because even as a military member and as a cop sometimes, like I'm nervous because I don't know what's gonna happen. Everybody else, license and registration. Yeah, no problem, sir, blah, blah, blah. But we literally, as African-Americans, we gotta teach our kids like, hey, keep your hands on the steering wheel, wait till they get up there, you know, like put your uh, license plate, well, not your license plate, but your driver's license and everything in your sun, your um, sun blinders up there. So yeah. they can see your hands the whole entire time, you know, like things like that. Like those are things that we have to get taught, but everybody else, they can just keep all that information in their glove box. And you can reach over to your glove box and grab that. Like, and you know, we were just explaining that and just like, hey, it's different. It's different for folks, like these different experiences and we call them lived experiences, right? Like these lived experiences matter, you know? Like my wife don't ever want to let me get a motorcycle and I want a motorcycle, but I had to find out one day, like, hey, why don't you want me to get a motorcycle? Kind of find out she had a family member that was in a motorcycle accident, right? And it scared her. So she don't want to see that happen to me. So I have to recognize that those are her feelings, right? And the thing about feelings is that they are true to you. Like yeah. I can't tell you how you feel isn't there true. There you go. You're right. Yep. <laughs> and I tell people that all the time about all these different lived experiences, right? That's why we have to value and we have to listen to folks because you can't debate feelings. Right. And that was one of the things I tell people in the small group discussions. You cannot debate feelings at nope. all. You're absolutely right, man. That's that's perfect that you do that because uh, the lived experiences, right, or your family member. And even if it's not 100 uh, percent how it really went down, there's 99 percent of it is true. That's going to be your truth. Right. Uh, I would tell you um, that I have been this ain't story time for for Caleb, but I have had I've had uh, law enforcement pull firearms on me. Uh, so I, I will tell you that, uh, and I was riding with one of my friends and I didn't even move or I moved to, to the glove box, towards the glove box, but I didn't, I didn't, I was getting his license and registration for him. He was driving. Um, I would tell you that every time, and I've served the United States military for 21 years, if a cop puts their lights on, on me, I, there is something that goes up inside. And I, I don't know why, uh, other than the one incident that I've had, I think part of it is I know they're armed. I'm not kind of thing potentially I, you're going through your head of what all went wrong coupled with if you're a different ethnicity especially african-american male all the other stuff that has happened i can 100 understand and appreciate uh, i can't fully uh, grasp it right because i'm not an african-american but i can appreciate the the challenge and the struggle and the anxiety for that so thanks for also helping the team understand you can't tell somebody how to feel and a lot of times when you have because i was a facilitator out of ellsworth and people would have these uh these strong held beliefs. And I would challenge them on that a little bit of like, okay, what's subjective here? Is the objective to, and let's just use me and you, 
so we're not using anybody else's name. His objective for you to learn about how Daryl processes information and what's real to him, or is it your objective to change Daryl's mind and see it your way? Right. So when you separate all that and you're like, hey, we're not changing anybody's mind today, that's not the objective. The objective is to remain calm and have a good conversation and discussion and learn about how mm. each other process and what each other's gone through. At the end of the day, I don't need you to walk out this door and feel the exact same way Daryl does. I just want you to understand and appreciate that he sees life differently than you uh, and, and to make amends where you can to help each other in that. So, man, I tell you what, I can tell we would talk all night. Uh, are you available? <laughs> Uh, for people to request you to do either virtual or in-person. I know in-person might be a little bit harder if you're off the yard, but uh, is is it okay if, if people contact you or are you not quite at that stage to do uh, kind of requested for leading a panel? Absolutely, yeah. Was, uh, so I tell people all the time, like, hey, if you want me to come out, hit me up. I recently did a session for uh, Patrick Space Force Base and their first ever diversity and inclusion sale down there at, at Patrick. This uh, uh, was Burrito got me to come out there and at the same token they had an SEL course that was going on and they invited me over like I jumped right across the street so I was busy that day I had to fly out that same day and everything but I that, that just to give you an example like I will go through great links to have these sessions because I just feel like you know it's a calling for me if you will yeah. you know like for some people that are spiritual out there like I really feel like this is a calling um, this is something that like God has really just given me to just impart on people. And that's just how to have conversations in a safe way, you know, because sometimes we we roll into conversations and we have our feelings already. We're already upset about the topic and we yeah. are not ready to listen at all, you know, and it's just I tell people like we got to listen to understand. So I am always willing to do these. I can do a virtual uh, session for people. Um, I can come in person, but they got to have the TDY money to get me to come out there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you, man. <laughs> so what I'll do, man, is I'll put your contact information in the show notes. Um, I, sometimes I do articles and I'll put it on the website. What I'll do is I'll just hyperlink everything in for everybody so they can reach out to you. If, if they got the TDY funds to bring you in, or if you're Absolutely. available for virtual. Um, so being respectful of your time, brother, I want to, one last, uh, I got two questions for you. Uh, <laughs> one is on the save round, you know, I'm combat oriented. So I got one save round in the chamber. Um, but uh, what is what is one of the things that maybe we didn't discuss or your final thoughts or a wrap up of this, if you will. I know you can't really wrap it up because these are one of the types of things just kind of ongoing. Uh, but what is one thing that you would like to leave, uh, leave the team with uh, on your thoughts on this topic? Okay. So I'm glad you asked me that because before the show, I actually wrote these down. Like, hey, what would be my parting thoughts? You know, and I actually have five and I'm gonna make them quick, right? So when it comes to having meaningful conversations or even just giving feedback to anyone, right? Like you have to be honest with you first, right? So you have to go in with a mindset of understanding yourself second, being honest with yourself first, right? So, and, and when I say being honest with yourself, this is what I tell people, I was like, look, if you don't like black people, like that's okay. Like let, let people know because now people know how to deal with you. Now people know how to love you a little bit more so you can come out of that, right? Um, one of the things that um, at Macy, we, we had a gentleman that walked the halls. He was a, a retired chief master sergeant, retired in 1985, African-American man, Chief Williams. Um, phenomenal guy. I brought him in on one of my airmen's panel because of just the historic nature of having an African-American male that was a chief in the Air Force that came in pre-civil rights. And 
not that it was planned, but he got the question from the crowd. And the question was, how did you deal with racism when you came into the Air Force? And he loved that question because he responded with simply this. He said, I would find the most racist, bigoted white guy in the unit and I would make him my friend. And that way he couldn't hate me. He would see that he has to love me, right? And I said, hey, that, that, that's profound because what he's saying and you know, in a sense of things is he knew who that person was. In this day and age, we don't know who that person is because people suppress who they really are, right? So that's why I start out with teaching people like, hey, I need you to be honest with you. You have to be honest with you. And then you need to understand you and why you think the way that you do and why you need to understand yourself. And then I need people to be vulnerable, right? So vulnerable is that opening up and not being afraid to share, right? I tell people in leadership positions, like if you're going through something, please share it because you don't know who else maybe going through that same situation, people need to hear it because they need to see someone like you in your position and you made it, you know, because that lets them know they can make it through that too, right? And then also empathy. And not only empathy, but empathy growing up to compassion, right? So that's being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and feel what they're feeling, but also act on it. Then finding that next thing, like what can I do to help you? Or what can I do to, um, you know, make the situation better? Is it just conversation? Because I can give you that as well. So, um, sorry, I lost you for a second there. And then Are after you? that, yeah, it's just the piece of trust, right? So when we walk into these conversations, like trust that not everybody is coming with some type of negative condensation or negative feelings about it, right? We gotta trust that people um, are just being vulnerable, right? And some people may be, for lack of better words, ignorant, right? They just don't know. They don't know what it is that you've gone through. They never experienced that, right? They maybe came from somewhere where they never even saw a black person or they never saw an Asian person or anything like that. I was having a conversation with my wife the other day and we were um, getting our feet done, pedicures, right? Got to do that, you know? Um, and there was a, um, a female that was black and Asian mix. And my wife was just like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. And she's from Montgomery, Alabama, right? So, and I explained that, she's like, do you see that often? I was like, I see it all the time in the Air Force, right? We see everything, right? We, Air Force is super diverse when it comes yeah. to like that type of people you'll come across. And she was just like, I just want to have a conversation with her because I've never seen those two cultures mixed together and i was just like well i can link you up with some friends i have quite a few of them <laughs> you know that you know they call it blazing right black and asian but you know but the bottom line with that is just trust you know that people you know have good intentions and they're not coming into the conversation to harm you especially if you're setting it up for people to talk they just might not know yeah so. yeah absolutely and i tell you in leadership positions i don't care what your ethnicity is uh it is your responsibility to to formulate these conversations and connectedness, right? Uh, Simsaf uh, Bass says it all the time about better together. And it truly is, man. It's once we connect, and that goes back to the story I was telling about when I was in Afghanistan, the two, uh, that was his supervisor, the two didn't know each other. They didn't even know what each town, what town they were from. And not just because you're from a certain point or part of the United States or a certain town, but that does have a little bit to do with how people turn out. Uh, right, it gives them a, at least framework and they got to make decisions within that. Do I repeat what I just know or do I learn and grow? And you're right, man, the Air Force, Air Force is diversity in the Air Force ain't the problem. It's inclusion, 
right? That's that's where we really come down to it. And if you don't, if you can't, if you're not being inclusive, then there's chances are you don't know that person. I like what you were saying about that retired chief. Sad that he had to approach it that way, but my goodness, genius, right? Like, I'm just going to show you that you have to love me, and then I'm a I'm a patriarch, if you will, for my entire race for that one person, right? Uh, so that's just genius. It's unfortunate they had to do that that way, but genius on the way to do it. Man, I like giving uh, the audio or the um, the guest, my guest, the last word. All I'll say after this is we out kind of thing. But man, I love asking people what they hope their legacy will be. And because uh, I, I think it says a lot about people's character too. And, and it, it always inspires me to hear what other people want their legacy to be. I say it a, a little bit and it sounds kind of dark, but the audience already knows. You got a birth year on your tombstone or your mark or whatever you decide to have. There's a dash and then some year, hopefully it's a long time in the future for everybody. But, um, you know, we, we are we can't get out of this thing alive. That's just the way this works. Um, and we're all we're all gathered around, you know, all your friends and your family. What are they, what are they saying about you, man? That's your legacy. That's the way I see it anyway. And, and what, what are they saying? What is the legacy that Daryl leaves behind? Well, to be honest with you, for a very long time, I thought about this in a way, not like the way you're putting it, but. Um, and the thing is my daughters, like I would be like overfilled with joy if one of them were wearing an Air Force uniform, you know, because for a long time, you know, before we started hitting diversity and inclusion and making some of these changes for women in the Air Force, you know, I wouldn't have said that, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have pushed them in this direction at all, you know, but just because I seen you know, just how women are treated, you know, in the working world, period, right? And if one of them were there in uniform, like that would mean everything to me because that would mean that we changed the Air Force and made it more inclusive, you know, to the point where my daughters felt it was okay for them to follow in their dad's footsteps. You know, um, I was, um, they don't they don't get it, but I took them in the Senior Seal Academy and I let them take pictures in front of Chief Bass's photo that's hanging up there. Yeah. You know, I kind of explained like who she was and, you know, what it meant, you know, because the bottom line is just representation, right? Yeah. You know, them being young ladies and seeing someone obtain something that no one has ever done before, you know, yeah. as, a, as a female. And that was just profound, you know. And honestly, it don't even matter what the tombstone says because one of them being in uniform will speak volumes. Absolutely. That's that's great, man. Daryl, we love you. Air Force needs more leaders like you, man. Uh, we wish you all the best. Y'all know the deal. Until next time, keep it real. We out.